Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everybody welcome back to podside if you're listening to these one after another i imagine you're extremely fucking sick of me saying that but uh welcome uh i am here as pete we have carlo at which uh i don't know good to have you on the team man Uh, i am here i am also here as carlo okay yeah i'm definitely not here as carlo what are you drinking man uh got a little bit of a whistle pig Oh, nice. I just took a stab at that. I didn't really know he was drinking. No, but uh, <laughs> a rye man, is it? Yeah, excellent. I, I, am, I, am, I am very rye. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, so, yeah, I have um, – I've got some uh, screwball here sitting next to me. So if, if you like the joys of peanut butter and whiskey, that's what I'm up to. Um, Kurt, uh, back on the show. How's it going, man? I'm doing really well. And yes, I'm I'm gunning. I'm gunning for that most guest appearances now that Carlo has been knocked out of the running by officially joining the show. Um, I believe that Emma is still uh, a few ahead of me, though. But I'll get there. I'll get there. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Um, Absolutely. I'm doing very well. And I will say I don't know what I'm drinking, but it tastes pretty good. And I don't know what I'm drinking because um, I did uh, homebrewing for a number of years. And while, um, while I know all of my own beers and can be like, oh, yeah, I, I vaguely remember this by like the type of cap that I used. Uh, my homebrew club used to do like end of year beer swaps where you'd go up and like, you know, exchange, exchange beers that you had made throughout the year. And I've been drinking the unlabeled bottles that people gave me like five years ago. And so I think this is some kind of a pale ale, but I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it, it, it's an American pale ale because it had uh a uh, stars and stripes caps on a uh, cap on it. So, 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 have, so unknown Providence pale ale. Have you ever opened something there and had it not been a beer? Because like I'd smuggle some cream soda or something in there for my homies. Um, sometimes, um, we used to do cider sometimes. I've definitely had a cider and, um, there was one beer that somebody made in our homebrew club one year that was extremely bad. It was like way overspiced. Like they used like way too many spices and it. it was supposed, it was supposed to be like a spiced beer. Um, but it was like, it was undrinkable. And, um, we took a few because it was actually really good for making beer bread because the spices would, would stay and give like a good, f- uh, uh, flavor to like a whole loaf of of bread but drinking a bottle of it um just was terrible and so i live in fear that i'm going to open one of those not knowing what it is and take a sip <laughs> <laughs> and we also have somebody logging in their first guest appearance on podside and that is chris of parents fame the uh the the co-host with kurt and chris it's really good to have you on first time hearing your voice yes thanks very much for having me well, I, 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 
I just realized I listen to your pod occasionally, so that's not true. <laughs> but it's the first time talking to you. Sorry, please continue. Yes. Yeah, the, the parasaurosaurus aspect strikes again. Uh, but yeah, no, it's great to have be on here. I, I've been a big fan, so uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys. And uh, I'm, I'm following Carlo's lead, and I also have a drink with Ryan. I'm drinking a Manhattan uh, in, Ooh, in honor nice. of my grandmother who drank a Manhattan until the day she died. So, Hell yeah. yeah. Are, are, are you drinking it in, in one of those like big funny glasses? I, I, I don't go the full <laughs> way with the glassware because I, I just that's just too much to clean. So I just have it in one of our wine glasses with a stemless wine glass, a very basic, uh, basic bitch type of, uh, ooh, I mean, you might want to <laughs> basic bitch no, type of a glass. It's all good. No fucking worries, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, you can say swears on here. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> there you go. See, Thanks. we're all committed. Um, and, 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 oh, don't don't forget, Pete. Which movie? You know which movie we're going to be discussing today? It's Willow. <laughs> yes. God, I love I love that sequence. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so um, I think Carlo, you need to walk this me through this because um, we were talking about what we're going to do, and you were like, "We have to do Willow." Kurt would go absolutely mad to talk about it. <laughs> so how how did how do you know that? Uh, break down the story. Oh, uh, I I think it was on Twitter. He posted like I didn't. I can't believe it. My wife just got me this. It was a picture of Willow, the Blu-ray, and I'm like, what? <laughs> because <laughs> yep. I, 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 this is my second time. I think it's probably like my second time seeing this. Um, I was a little old when it came out, but this was like in that, uh, for me at least, it was in that period of time that there were already rumors that there might be a Lord of the Rings movie coming sometime soon. And you know, I'd already seen the, tried to watch that Ralph Bakshi one, which is fun, but it's just not, no, no, it wasn't good. Um, and, but then I remember this was being sort of, I don't remember if it was the promotion itself uh, or the marketing or, or, or just word of mouth was saying like, oh, Lucas is doing like a sort of his version of Lord of the Rings or something similar to that, you know, fantasy, uh, which I think is uh, just people that didn't know. They're like, it's fantasy. It's Lord of the Rings. You know? Well, uh, I mean, there is. There, so, so first of all, you are correct. Um, I was posting about it on Twitter and um, for my anniversary, um, my my wife uh, Denise got me Willow on on I forget if it was on DVD or Blu-ray probably DVD, um, and uh, I, she had like a clever joke. Uh, oh oh, that's what it is. Um, for your ninth wedding anniversary, which which this past year was our ninth wedding anniversary, uh, you're supposed to get w- w- Willow. The gifts made of willow wood, and so she got <laughs> willow. Nice, clever. And and yeah, I completely lost it watching it with her because, like, I, I grew up thinking about this as like a like an eighties fantasy also ran kind of like along the lines of I don't know. I, I thought about it Crawl. in terms of. Um, no, more, more like the Ewok adventures where it's like, Mm. okay, like this is related to like, this is all like, this is, this is like tie-ins or like related to people who are well known to me and are well known in terms of like eighties, you know, genre films, but this is like a lesser effort. And, and it's, it's not, I was blown away by, I mean like, okay, maybe like this came out the same weekend as like big and Rambo three. So like, 
in that context, okay, maybe Willow is is not Rambo three, but at the same time, um, like it's pretty good in modern terms. If a movie came out that was as good as Willow now and it was like operating in those same parameters, I feel like it would be much more successful um, than it was at the time. It was just so like re- refreshing. Like it was just it was like a straightforward fantasy epic film there was no extra textuality it was just like yeah there's like wizards doing wizard shit and you know there's like a prophecy and a baby and and here's like it's just it's just like an archetypal fantasy movie that you don't really get anymore and i loved it i was blown away by it so yes i'm psyched to talk about it i've always considered it kind of like baby's first fantasy and it's not like, and, and, and that sounds way more condescending than I really mean it to be. Uh, like, I, I appreciate it's like, uh, you know, it's it's not, doesn't have all the baggage of a Tolkien where who has the, you know, the deep lore and the appendices and everything like that. It's just kind of a straightforward uh, fantasy picture that young kids and adults can both really latch onto. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, can can I just make one ruling here? No. Can we not use the P slur? Because I feel like Peck is a slur. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. Um, well, you know, you have to take these works in the context of their times. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So one of the things I like about this movie that, I mean, this, this is probably my fourth watching that I watched for this. And this is the first time it really popped out to me because um, I think it's the first time I saw this where I don't think my political opinions were absolute shit. And what, like there's, there's uh, like, if you zoom out, there's this classic good versus evil thing going on where the main villain just wants to destroy everybody and put them in chains and there's no there's no economic thing and they're definitely like yeah i'm the evil one it's it's not (laughs) like it's not like they believe they're doing a good thing but if you zoom in and go to willow's village I mean, it's like he's he's barely keeping his farm together and the local burgermeister can't wait to steal his farm away and stick him in the mines. And I'm like, holy shit, that's a good thing to call out in the middle of this. Yeah, it's also yeah. a very dudes rock uh, movie. It's it's about it's about a guy who's a dude who who kind of you know is struggling, has kind of like a crappy you know beaten down life. He's like the joke of the village, and now he's got to go on an adventure with a baby where he meets a bunch of other dudes who rock um, and are also kind of like you know beaten down, passed over nobodies, and they wind up you know getting together and forming a team and and. You know, it's 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 like a it's just like a straight down the middle. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I honestly I get I get why why they compared it to like Lord of the Rings. And I do think that the the um, calling it baby's first fantasy isn't necessarily wrong. Like like as you as you say, uh, you know, Bavmorda is an evil sorceress, and that's about all that you really need to know about her. She's an evil sorceress. She has an evil army. You know, it's it's almost like a Venture Brothers joke where it's like, well, I, you know, she's an evil sorceress. She has all the stuff that evil sorceresses have. She has an evil castle. She has, you know, like an evil throne room with like magic shit in it. It's it's not there's not like a deep lore to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's assembled from pre-existing parts, but in a way that is like so straightforward that to me anyway, it, it was, it was, you know, refreshing that it was just uh-huh. like, 
it just it just kind of like recaptured what it felt like to me to be like 13 and reading a fantasy novel and not having this baggage of and like interpretation um thrust upon it which which i mean like in a way that opens itself up to me now for more interpretation but but like just engaging with it directly you know it's it's a pretty straightforward film to to its benefit i think i I think I think that's the George Lucas touch to my mind um, because, you know, at, at obviously he, he did that the same thing with Star Wars where he took a bunch of um, science fiction and the serialized um, stories of Flash Gordon and things like that and uh, boiled them down and added references to Kurosawa movies and, and put together like, you know, the almost the, you know, dominant myth, uh, mythos of our time and he kind of does the same thing with with uh willow by boiling down a fantasy to its bare um you know components and puts a really good story together at, with um and i think the, the important thing with lucas is where you know there's a lot of people who can do genre p- pastiches but lucas i think and i granted he just did the story so he didn't do the characters so i don't know how much is his involvement but he was also a main producer um but i think there's also some decent characters too there it's not ju- it's not just a genre prestige there's uh the there's the overall and then there's also decent characters to follow and and enjoy and and participate in their story. Well, I I did do a little reading into this and apparently the you know the general that's that's uh, uh I can't that's remember Kale. Yeah, General Kale. His well when Lucas originally penned this his name was Darth Scully. <laughs> 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 and then, and then he rena- renamed renamed the, the evil general with the uh, to to Kurt's point about uh, just making it very uh, sort of streamlined. Uh, all the all the uh, commanding officers have skull helmets, just in case you yeah. were wondering who the bad guys were. <laughs> right. Um, so he named uh, General Kale after uh, what's the pa- Pauline, Pauline Kale. Kale? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and the and later on the two-headed monster is uh called cisco ebert something like that siskiber yeah or uh, (laughs) or something like that (laughs) no no you're introducing extra textuality into my movie no (laughs) (laughs) damn it well i mean but but this is this is sort of um you you know what my wife calls that dragon by the way the testicle uh the testicle dragon yes and I, 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 I mean, come on, man! It, it's right there. <laughs> She's not wrong. She's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but see, this is the thing. Uh, it, when Lucas does it, it feels like he's being sort of uh, like petty, mm-hmm. uh, because this is exactly the same joke that's in Gremlins too. When um, when the they they bring on uh, shit. What is the name of the um, seagull? Yes. Uh, to, to do the in movie like re review of Gremlins, it's like Lens. It's like no, no, it's a five. Yeah. It's a five. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, you know, no- noticing the reference to Pauline Kale, I actually looked up her review of this, uh, and uh, she she mentions there's a she has an uh, a parenthetical where she says it's interesting to note that George Lucas was going through a costly divorce that in his, in this world all the evil uh, people are women and in control of everything. <laughs> So. <laughs> oh wow! So, yeah. Oh, so, so so this this could have been divorce court. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the divorce court fantasy. <laughs> so so um, Carlo, uh, you you used a different p word, which is pastiche, and I was thinking about this in terms of pastiche, and um, it it led me almost to a dead end because it's not really a pastiche of anything. 
except mm-hmm. itself. It's a pastiche of something that people claim is very widespread, but really doesn't actually exist in 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 great numbers. And and I would compare it to something like um like uh sword and sandal uh sorry not sword and sandal sort you know like sword and sorcery conan type books where people people will still yes. make references as if conan is the dominant uh you know styling in fantasy and really there are very very few books that are in that mode and and really are fantasy of that nature um and this very much feels like a pastiche of something that you think was everywhere in the 80s but there actually are only a handful of films that you could compare it to i mean you, you mentioned crawl i guess there's like dragon slayer beast you know, yeah yeah Beastmaster, uh lady well, hawk I'll, but like I'll, once look, you get I, beyond that, that go ahead no no i was just gonna say that uh the the of those i think the the one that most because it was right on the tip of my tongue when when we were talking we started talking about this is the fact that it feels exactly like like maybe not exactly but it feels like the same process as Ladyhawk, where Ladyhawk feels familiar because it's cobbled together from like three or four different things, just sort of smashed together in a different variation. And, um, but it is its own thing. So like, you know, I would say that at the beginning, like Willow has, so, oh, we have the Moses, uh, like the Moses archetype where they put the baby mm-hmm. on the reeds and it floats down the river. Yep. Um, and you got the Sears thing with the wand. Yep. The the what thing? The changing people into animals with a magic wand. Right. Well, I mean, I think that there's also like this is uh, the the Lucas touch where he he adds all these uh hero's journey, you know, he's got to include that. So, you know, when the baby uh runs aground, if you will. <laughs> I don't, that sounds awful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She was steering the ship and it ran aground. Um, uh, Willow initially is like, no, he refuses the call. That's the call to adventure and he's not going to do it. And uh, so it isn't until the, the, the rat dogs, uh, I forget what they're called. Uh, Uh, Chewie calls them. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we're we're starting to get into the plot, not, not to grab the till of somebody else's podcast, but should, should we talk about like what the the plot or the synopsis of this is as like, I mean, it's a fairly straightforward plot, but there is also kind of like twists and turns. And I was surprised at how large the cast of characters turns. And I was surprised at how large the cast Mm. of characters that you could consider very much as as like a one or two person film. But there actually are a lot of characters that stick around for for a while. Like I forgot, for instance, that like they start off with like a band of adventurers, most of whom uh, turn back. So but anyway, yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, Kurt. Since you are the uh, the resident enthusiast, do you want to go ahead and and uh, give us the plot? Sure. So, um, Willow basically takes place in a in in like Fantasylandia. It it is effectively a you know Middle Ages type fantasy land. A lot of it seems very Celtic to me. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. who have like Celtic names. Um, a, a lot of the the kind of like the like kind of trappings of sorcery feel sometimes like very druidic, um, well, and it's basically about this this evil queen named Bavmorda who is some kind of an evil sorceress, and she has an army and she's conquering the world. And the one thing, the one thing she doesn't want to happen is for there to be this prophecy baby born. So she rounds up all the pregnant women, makes like like a pregnant lady dungeon, and is checking all the babies as they're born, and the baby is born. And is spirited away and uh, winds up in the care 
of uh, a Nelwyn who played by Warwick Davis, who's very much like like, like a hobbit, uh, like a kind of like rural pastoral hobbit type race is kind of set apart from the travails of the world. And then the movie follows uh, Willow as, you know, he takes uh, the, the baby um, and tries to deliver it to somebody who will be able to take care of the baby initially, just kind of like as like a, a kind of cursed task placed upon him by the village, very much in the kind of like Frodo mold almost. Um, and then, you know, gr- he he gradually grows to become like the hero of, of the story, along with a colorful cast of characters. And they ultimately vanquish the evil um, and everyone's happy and everything is great. Um, and that's and that's Willow, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. To your point about the Celtic things, uh, there's um, there's a tiny little impish guys named brownies, and I I, I had no no clue what they were because they everybody kept calling them brownies. So I looked it up, and that that is actually Gaelic in origin. Yes, um, yep. the term the term brownies. So that so yeah, you're you're right on the money there. Where it's there's a lot of influence from from that kind of uh, area, uh, historical tradition. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like um, Celtic and uh, Norse. Um, names. So, you know, uh, mm-hmm. w- Willow's last name is like Ufgood, which, which kind of has that, that kind of like, uh, Saxon or kind of like Norse, um, sound to it. Uh, Val Kilmer plays, plays a character who's this kind of like rascally swordsman named Mad Mardigan, um, which again has a very kind of like Celtic sound to it. Uh, the, the, the baby is named Alora Danan, which, which again, v- very like Celtic you know, Celtic mythology type, type name. Um, and yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that just either feels kind of like English or, or like vaguely Celtish. Um, if, if, if only in names and kind of like aesthetic style, I don't really think that there's any particular, I, I mean, it's Lucas, you know, and, and, and Ron Howard, it, it, it should be mentioned. I, who, I, I don't think we've mentioned at this, at this point. And it's so yeah. funny that this is, this is a Ron Howard joint. Um, yes. But, uh, but there's, well, there's I, a I lot think... of like Celtic stuff that like little, little bits and pieces that, yeah. that get thrown in. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, and probably on point that we didn't bring up Ron Howard until about, you know, 20 minutes into our discussion is because of how, uh, you know, generic, directing he he brings to basically all his projects and I, I, i'm not one to say he's like a bad director because he's definitely like he you know he can put a camera in a certain interesting spot and captures interesting things but he he never brings a certain touch to stuff so uh you, you know it's hard to talk about movies as a ron howard you know they're not ron howard joints to say <laughs> i i give him credit for not fucking things up which is more than i can say for a lot of directors yes. but you're right like there's nothing special there right. i have I have a take, so I would like to share my hot and arguably dumb take and have this team of experienced uh, critics tear it apart, if that would be all right. Um, Right on us. So have you guys ever read The Masks of God or any of the Campbell shit? Yes, but not. I have not read The Masks of God. Yeah, not The Masks of God. So, I mean, the, the... one way to interpret his his writings is that um, uh, all mythology is sort of going up the same mountain, and that the stories you find all over the world are completing this very similar hero's journey, and they're all reflections of the same thing. And uh, Campbell really embraced Lucas and Lucas really embraced Campbell when you were dealing with the star Wars trilogy. And I can't help, but feel like 
Lucas made some deliberate choices here to do some masks of God shit here where he was like, well, all of these stories are going up the same mountaintop. I'm going to deliberately select things from a number of different locations that the audience may recognize or just to please me. And I'm going to have, you know, the, the Sears one changing people into pigs and I'm going to have the baby in the reed basket. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Um, and I, I, I'll, I'll say that, you know, so I've, I've done a, I've done a bit of research in the past into kind of the, the way that Campbell, um, wound up influencing filmmaking. And, um, interestingly enough, and probably pretty, probably I should say unsurprisingly, um, another, uh, director who is a huge and explicit, um, fan of, uh, Joseph Campbell is, uh, George Miller of Mad Max fame. Um, and hmm. what, what I think you can take away from the, the the Campbell influence is that it was definitely a popular mode of, I, I guess, screenwriting at the time to be like, to, to be not, not, to not just say like, well, you know, you know, C- Campbell's thesis was basically like, there is this underlying structure to all mythology. I'll say that he's wrong. Um, but but he makes an interesting literary argument um, from like an anthropological and mythological argument. Campbell, it must be said, very carefully selects the versions of different myths that he talks about to only refer to the ones that fall into the kind of structure or methodology that he lays out. So like, you know, he he will he, he might refer uh, to I, I, I don't know, you know, a. A, a particular, you know, uh, version of a story featuring like Zeus or or Apollo, and say, look, Zeus and Apollo fit the same structure as I don't know Asherah or someone. Um, and if you look at it, he's you know he has selected the one out of the the forty different versions of that myth. Um, but it, it kind of becomes moot when you, when you get to the screenwriting world because people saw this and, and, you know, Lucas among them went, Oh, this is like a good structure. It imbues these things with a mythic feel. And I don't think they're wrong, even though Campbell's thesis on like an anthropological level was, was wrong. Um, in terms of creating art, I do think that they give these stories a mythic feel. And so if that, if, if that was like a very intentional thing that Lucas did, I think it was a smart thing. And, and you can probably even argue that the reason that it feels mythic is because that's the structure that mythic films have taken. And so that kind of, you know, indicates to you, the viewer, Oh, this is a mythic feeling film. It's structured like these other mythic feeling films, but damn, if it doesn't work, like it works. And also it's a good structure for screenwriting. I think that, that, that Campbell lays out is so, it's certainly you know, on it's, display here for me. It's very unusual to find an uh, interpretation or a reaction to something that is both generous and smart. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly a better way to structure a, a story than uh, whatever that the, the McGee style of writing, the you know, save the cat type stuff. So cats must be punished instead yeah <laughs> right <laughs> speaking of animals though um you uh i cut off a discussion of uh the 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 dogs whose name i i forget um what the hell are they called knockmars something um yeah. god those things are horrific and they just yes. rip that midwife to parts to, to pieces and you yes. see it you see it and they make sure that you know that the baby sees it too um and that so 
I, I was thinking about about re about rewatching this with my daughter who's who's about to turn five and I got to that and I was like Mm-mm, nope yes. not quite not quite yet I, it's I a also, little bit early in the film <laughs> agreed and I I did the same thing watching it again today as with an eye towards like maybe we can watch it with uh, my daughter but then so there was that the violence of of the dogs which which are pretty yeah. terrifying but then there, um, there's the moment where uh, Mad Mardigan is um, having a tryst with a married woman in a bar and the, the mar- uh, she, he dresses up as a woman to uh, disguise himself from the married woman's husband and the husband starts groping uh, Mad Mardigan's like stuffed bra and I, I was like yeah I, I don't want to have to explain that to my four year old daughter so <laughs> he, he literally says would you like to breed <laughs> hey I I mean, I mean, he checked for consent. You know, he was. Yes. He, was okay, yeah. Yeah. he did ask. Yes. I, I should. Yeah. Well, honestly, like that, 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 that whole dog thing was not safe for my dog to watch because as soon as those things got on the screen, he went ape shit. Like he pulled a bookshelf down. Oh. <laughs> Oh, he, he was obviously uh, trying to protect you from them. Man. Oh, yeah. He was like, yeah. like, look at those poodle wolves. We got to do something, man. I'll panic. Let's try panicking. Well, it sounds well, like uh, Lucas <laughs> can expect a lawsuit from you any day now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I should put my neck in a brace. <laughs> uh, so I, I did want to point out that um, they, they – it's – I, I don't know what type of dog. I'm going to guess like some sort of long-legged, maybe Dobermans or something like that, that have some sort of prosthetics uh, laid over them and then like a rat tail so that the the even the look of them is just very unnatural looking. It's well, like, I, ugh, yeah, what uh, is and that? Then, and I, I feel like – and I mean I, I know I slagged off Howard a little bit earlier, but – um, he doesn't do a good. He doesn't do like a a steady steady on shot on them, so that you kind of just like get glimpses and of them running through frames and things like that. So you don't get a quite a full picture of what exactly they look like. <clears throat> at least I at least I didn't see it. So <clears throat> excuse me. At that point, that that I think that added to the mysteriousness of of them. Excuse me. I don't know what's going on. You know I. I, I, I want to mention since since we've talked about Howard a little bit, I looked up contemporary reviews um, of the film, and they were like mixed, um, mixed to middling, I would say. And one of the most common criticisms, uh, and this is something that f- is so funny to think about in terms of films now, um, but one of the most common criticisms was that like the the story or the plot was lost under all the special effects. Mm. They basically said like Ron Howard <laughs> did a good job with the special effects, but the film is lost under all of them. And I mean, the amount of like, there are a fair number of, of like special effects, including some absolutely gorgeous uh, like uh, Foley artwork, like d- truly beautiful landscapes um, mm. in this film. But like, it really does not feel like a special effects film to me. If anything, it feels much more tangible and real than modern, um, modern fantasy films. So that was one yeah. of the big things that I kept thinking about was like how, like when um, I recently uh, watched um, Emma, ba- Emma Bowers uh, of uh, Circle Sessions, um, excellent uh, video piece on, uh, on the Conan uh, film franchise. And one thing that she points out is that, you know, when they show a, a town in a, in an eighties fantasy film, they built the town. Like Mm. it was a town with like 12, you know, buildings and extras in full, you know, makeup walking around and like, you know, carrying, you know, 
hoes and pickaxes and stuff. And it really has like a real tangibility to it that does not feel like sets. It feels like all location shots. Um, yeah, and like, that jumped out at me watching this. Yeah, like like Willow's Village feels like a village. Mm-hmm. Like when they go into the little uh, the, the little fair and, and he's trying to pull off the trick and they have like all these little shots. It feels very tangible, very down to earth. There's like <laughs> pigs and chickens wandering around and stuff like that. It just feels like like a real place, like somebody actually put care into this. And and, you know, part of that tangibility of the set is uh, able to be sort of taken in and transmitted by the actors uh, mm-hmm. who are not trying to act against some previs uh, idea. Like previs came in and sort of gave them like the description of it and we, like the description of it. And we showed them some screenshots of what it's, where do you put your, you know, where's your eyeline? Where's, where's your mark? What are you supposed to be doing? It It's just, I think that people like even modern actors are, are probably a little in the we like out of their depth trying to act against that, you know. Um, I, I I would even say that the 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 aforementioned uh, tavern where they visit where uh, they they run into Mad Mardigan again, uh, it does look like another set <laughs> like like a set from another movie that they've sort of uh, dressed up for this one, so it looks like run down and sort of medieval kind of looking mm-hmm. but the inside looks great uh it oh, looks it all yeah. busy and and just like just cramped and just like people everywhere it's yeah. just great I, I i think you're absolutely right i think that the the i i also uh would say that the special like i i think the only thing that is a little tiring if you will uh, about the the film is the fact that there are several reversals in the film where you go back and forth, like align uh, allegiances change back and forth a couple of times. And that might be the only thing that is a little hard to track and keep, keep track of, but I, I don't know what they're talking about. Like if they're, if they're watching whatever is, ha- you know, whatever's in the, in the movies, well, maybe not now, but like, you know, two years ago, whatever was in the movies, which is basically all MCU stuff. I, I I walk out of the, the movie uh, of an MCU movie, and it's it's like waking up from a dream. I'm trying to remember what the fuck happened. And it's like, yeah, what? yeah it's no. just why, the bad why, why did why did that happen? Why did they yeah. do that thing? Yeah, well, guys, the the pod side research team passed me a note. Thank you, gentlemen. And uh, uh, I've I've found out that the dogs are called death dogs, and oh. they are from the army called Nakmar. Oh, thank ah. you, thank you. Okay. I'm glad oh, we got death that. Dogs. All right. Well, death good, dogs. good, good thing they named them a friendly name. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it it does go back to like the skull helmets, um, and <laughs> there is there is something about this film where so much of it is so obvious that um, I don't know. It, it it has a strange effect on me. Where like to to Carlos' point about walking out of an MCU film. Um, to me, so much of the turning gears and pulleys and wires behind the scenes plot wise of those films is is like on display for me. Where like mm-hmm. they introduce a certain kind of villain, and I know that you know right before the big fight, that villain is gonna make you feel sympathetic for them by being like, "I never got the chances that you did," or or I you know like they're 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 gonna give some kind of like heartfelt speech. 
Um, and like, you know, it's coming because of the type of character that they are. And there's such an economy of character and location and plot in so many modern films um, that like it's it's not that you know what's going to happen, but that, you know, one of a couple things are going to happen. Whereas a film like Willow, even though it does follow that very like regimented monomyth hero's journey format has a much more garden path type story. Like the, the, the fact that they meet Mad Mardigan and he's in like a gibbet, a gibbet, a gibbet. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's gibbet. And gibbet? I, yeah. you did both. Fuck it, man. It's a win. <laughs> <laughs> um, they like, like you're not, you don't know as soon as you see him, that he's going to become the heroic rascally swordsman who ultimately helps everyone. Like he's, he's not, he's not signaling it in the way that they would in a modern Mm -hmm. film where he would be a little bit more handsome, get a little bit more screen time. Like he just, he could very plausibly have, have been a character in just one scene when you first encounter him. Um, And then like he returns and it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like now it's clear that he's going to join up. Um, it's not, you know, it's not obvious that, you know, Willow's companions are going to abandon him, uh, you know, right off the bat. It's it's like it's surprising that Mad Mardigan takes the baby mm-hmm. and starts leaving. You're like, oh, what? I didn't expect this. To, like it, it 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 is harder to follow because it has it has those those reversals. But at the same time, like things happen in it that aren't purely devoted to linearly advancing the plot towards its its conclusion and there's an aspect of that that feels like it gives your brain more to latch onto because you do you remember those reversals Mm -hmm. um and you don't it's it's not like super obvious from the get-go that like oh okay um i'm i'm thinking about like uh the first wonder woman film where it's super obvious from the start that it's not going to turn out to be war uh himself who's who she thinks like you know the uh sorry Aries <laughs> is going to yeah. be yeah you're like oh okay this is clearly the sword and you're like oh okay yeah like like <laughs> that it was it was obvious that Aries was going to be someone in disguise and mm-hmm. in a film like this it's it's not it's not clear where the where the plot is going and so it has almost like a garden path structure to it yeah well yeah, i oh go oh, ahead chris thank you yeah i so I, I'm a big uh, letterbox user and a lot of the people that I follow whose opinions I trust, they, they all kind of complain that, um, you know, a common complaint is that, you know, it takes a while to get going. It's about, about there's about an hour of the, of the movie before it really gets kicks in. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Kurt, but I enjoyed that part. Like I like the going down the byways and pathways of this like little world uh, and not necessarily being led along the hand of saying, well, you know, it's point A to point Z. Um, I, I thought it was kind of neat that the, I didn't appreciate the reversals, even though yeah, a couple of times I was like, well, wait, the brownies have the kid now. But like, um, I, I, pre- I I like that that kind of stuff happened off screen and you're kind of fo- you're catching up as Willow's catching up. It's it's funny that that's considered um, taking a while to get going, because my, my comment was actually the opposite. 20 minutes in, Willow has the baby, is setting off on his quest, has left the village. Mm-hmm. Um, what does take a while is for the whole ensemble to get together. And right. I, I think that in a, in a modern film, the signifier of the movie being underway is the whole ensemble is to is together. And that takes a long time in, yeah. in this film. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's absolutely on point. And I think that... Um, 
to a certain degree, the last, you know, say t- 10 years, if we're being generous, um, has pretty much drilled into people's heads that, oh, no, you got to, at the 15 minute mark, you got to have everyone together and you, you got to, you know, you, you got to have the, you know, you, you have my sword, you know, uh, <laughs> s- yeah. cele- you know se- scene happening already. And it's like, dude, no, we don't even know who the fuck these people are, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and- I keep thinking about Seven Samurai. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that the assembly of the team is a major part of the action. And I, I mean, oh. I think Kurt's really on to something there. Oh, you mean you mean the Zack Snyder uh, remake? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> okay, if you're going to say that, I'm going to do the dumbass bit I let, let go earlier, which was, you know, that the 80s was, uh, was a different time. So, like, some of those interactions with the child makes more sense if you look at through a latchkey uh, lens. And if, if you are, if you find a child in the eighties and you, you're walking across a bridge, it's perfectly acceptable to hand that child to a thief. You find in a bird cage. And walk <laughs> off. If you find a baby in the eighties on a bed of reeds floating down a river, as you do, <laughs> give it to a giant. Why not? Well, no, no, no. Look, uh, the guy was obviously named something trustworthy, like mad Marty. <laughs> yeah. So, so I must emphasize it's, it's, it's one word. It's not no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know. I know. I, that that still breaks my brain because I, me, I separate it, and I was like, why is it all Mad Mardigan altogether? Mm-hmm. He, he's obviously playing madness at the beginning mm-hmm. when he first. Remember, he has like a couple of like like personality switches, which yeah. I'm not sure if that's like him being. Like maybe he misunderstood. <laughs> maybe he made the mistake I am. He's like, oh, my character's obviously mad. He's like, Ron's like on set. No, no, no. Your name's all together. You're not necessarily crazy. You're He's just been sort locked of- in a gibbet. Give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he was at capacity. Okay, yeah. don't give him a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I want to talk about about Mad Mardigan too. But by the way, since since we have brought him up, um, I really love. It's such a trope, which which. I hate saying that, but it is uh, that they he keeps saying that he's like a phenomenal swordsman um, and it takes a long time to actually see this. And Mm -hmm. then he actually is a phenomenal swordsman. He is like a really great sword fighter in a non-ironic way. And I, I love that. And it's something that you don't you don't see nearly as much anymore. I feel like now it would turn out that he actually isn't a very good swordsman. And like part of his character journey would be like, you know, discovering that he can be a great swordsman, but like, no, he's, he's arrogant from the start. And when he actually does get a sword and get to use it, he, he does in fact, like kick everyone's ass. Um, Well, to be fair, He kicks ass whenever he picks up a second sword. So, like, if he's fighting you and he grabs sword number two, you know you're fucked. <laughs> the dual weed at wielding swords. Oh, yeah, because he, like, every time he picks one up, he does that spin thing yeah. and everybody around yeah. him dies. Yeah. I, I like that Willow was actually like, oh, yeah, shit, you are good with those. Like, that was yeah, a good, was a good moment. Good. Like, yeah, I, I did I did like that where, where Willow turns to the camera and says, he is a good swordsman. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, I mean th- that is a great turn, and it happens right after he gets <laughs> gets pegged in the in the in the nose with the uh, the the brownie love potion dust, yes, yes, and then has that whole sequence, which is hilariously done because I, I I was sort of I was sort of bracing myself because I was wondering, eighties consent or 
<laughs> regular consent. And there's a little bit of that. There's a, a little bit of problematic, uh, a, a little bit of a problematic aspect. But at the same time, he's not trying to to do anything with her. He just wants to woo her. And like she yeah. holds the knife at his throat and he's like, oh, death would be better than to live without <laughs> you. You are my son. You're my son. My stars. I, <laughs> he's like, I think if so Matt Mardigan had been a woman. And you'd have thrown that powder at her. We would still be mad about it. Yes, yes, yes. very, yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, it definitely. Um, I was ex- so so. Uh, what I was bracing for was exactly that. I was expecting it to be used on uh, Sorsha, and I was like, no, eighties movie, don't. Don't do the love potion thing. Please, please don't like take away like the agency of the female character you have specifically given agency to. Um, And to to be fair, though, I liked how that was played. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it got a lot more nuance and like length to it of like Sorsha does kind of like credibly fall in love with him. It's not immediate. She's not like, mm-hmm. wow, this guy is hot. I better betray everyone for him. Um, she she kind of like, you know, she stays mad and irritated at them for a long time. And it takes about like a good like 15 minute battle sequence or like 20 minute, you know, chase and battle s- sequence before she actually kind of comes over to their side, which I was surprised by because I was very much I, I was very much waiting f- for the thing where a hero character is like, oh, wait, I'm a hero character. I shouldn't be with the bad guys. I should be with the good guys and just kind of like, <laughs> like jumps over. Um, and I yeah. think to the film's credit, it it, it doesn't it doesn't do that. Yeah. And I, I almost feel like there's aspects of the plotting of this that feel more like a book than like a movie um, where it, you know, we, we, we talked about kind of like the meandering nature of the plot at times it's much more like a book plot than it is like a film plot at, at times where it's like, okay, it can go back and forth where, you know, I, I feel like there's an expectation in books that, that more events can occur than in a film because it will just take you longer to get through it. You know, you're, you're not going to sit there and read the whole thing in one go. Whereas in a film, you kind of are expected to hold the whole movie in your head for about two hours. So that that um, Sorsha, who is the, the the actress we're talking about here, is uh, Joanne Wally, uh, nay Joanne Wally Kilmer, uh, and really? uh, they met, they both met on the set, mm. and Val Kilmer and uh, Joanne Wally became uh, married. Became married. <laughs> Poof! <laughs> it was Willow's wand. He he made them married. Um, <laughs> no, they, I guess they they married. Uh, after not long after the uh the the film uh so it's sort of funny because it sort of follows like the film actually sort of follows like a an actual off-screen romance that they were having i love that so i, I can't blame her because val kilmer was extreme kilmer was extremely charming in this yeah. movie i thought like he he what was it on the charm i i, I was like wow he, he's such a he was so charming he, he even well, with yeah. the fucked up teeth yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I, I think Pete and I were talking about this before we started that I don't think like any of those early Kilmer movies, uh, I can't speak to like after, say, the 90s or whatever, but um, like, you know, Tombstone, mm. Top Gun, uh, Hot Shots. No, I'm sorry, not Hot Shots. Um, Real Genius. Top Secret. Real Genius. He's yes. fantastic in Real Genius. Absolutely. Uh, Top Secret. All those. He's just phenomenal. Like, I, I, I can't get enough of the guy. 
and he's great in this. And like you said, Chris, like the, he, when he wants to turn it on, he is a charming motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He seems to have done a lot of his own stunts in this too. It, it's certainly, there is a lot more um, shots of him that appear to actually be Val Kilmer and not a stunt double. Um, and I remember trying to look this up and it did. The, the implication was that he had done like a lot of, of like a lot of the stunts, although not, not, not all of them certainly. Um, but I remember there was a few shots in particular during the cart chase that happens after the tavern that did appear to actually be Val Kilmer. Um, and honestly, like just the way that some of those scenes were shot was really wild that they were using like, you know, like practical stunts and practical effects for a cart chase like that, where like now there's no way in hell that they would, they would actually film that like that. Too much liability. Like, like on a rig where it appeared, I think there were, it would, there were either actually horses towing it or they were like, they, they faked it very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did anyone here ever play the, the Willow arcade game? Yes, but I don't remember anything <laughs> about it except that I feel like I, it was not very good. It, it wasn't. It, it was like a chibi version of all the Willow characters, um, <laughs> but uh, lots of yeah, it's very cute. But I, I just remember that the carts, the cart sequence is actually a, a stage in the in the in the game. I never got past the cart sequences <laughs> a little much. So so it sort of follows the movie plot. It's not like Gauntlet or something. <laughs> no, no, not, not they should have made it like gauntlet like that would have rocked. Uh, so uh, I uh, earlier we sort of talked about sort of the 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 one dimensionality of evil in this movie and how it worked. And it occurred to me that there there is one piece of Queen Bev Morta that is at least two dimensional, possibly three. And that is like at least her initial connection and love and relying on Sorsha. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that, that's like her single redeeming trait. Yeah. Cause in fact, her, her, uh, seer says, you know, I've seen that your daughter is going to betray you. And, and qu- the queen's like, no, nah, not going to happen. I trust her. <laughs> and and yeah. then, uh, of course, obviously it does because who can resist Val Kilmer at his most charming, but, um, yeah, so yeah, you're right though. Like I I think that and and that goes to Kurt's point about there's being more here than a, a typical movie that it almost feels uh book-like in that I feel like there's a lot more depth to the relationship between the king, the queen and Sorsha than we're actually given and there's a lot that we can that yes. we are, are not forced to read into it and I I do would be cool to kind of explore that that a little bit more. There's an interesting aspect of this that again, I think comes back to Lucas where they set up the depth and then don't don't really explore it, which is something that that Star Wars does all the time. Where like mm. they just just you know th- throw away Star Wars lines like about like the Kessel Run. Well, what is mm-hmm. what is Kessel? What like why is that important and impressive? It's just like a throwaway line. And there's stuff like that where it's like it feels like there could be a whole backstory of you know Bavmorda and where she came from and what her deal <laughs> is. And like they just they set it up and then don't tell you and it makes you feel like the world and the setting is more capacious than it actually is but at the same time they don't waste time like okay the movie opens with an introductory scroll but it's literally just like bavmorda is an evil sorceress prophecy (laughs) baby she's gonna kill the baby yeah um it's it's not it's not like 
10,000 years ago, uh, you know, Queen <laughs> Bavmorda rose and seized control oh, so of the kingdom of Blah Blah with her. You know, like, so, so it's not it's not the beginning of uh, David Lynch's Dune. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I know oh. this, Bavmorda. Look, look I, 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 I love. Yeah, I, I love I love uh, David Lynch's Dune for all you know for for all its flaws. Yes. But uh, but yeah, that is a bit much. Yeah. Um, what I yeah, was yeah so. No, go ahead, Pete. I'll be real fast, I promise, because I know we're talking over each other. But like when when uh, when people do that example thing to give depth, far and away my favorite are on Star Trek. Because they'll be like, the guy's a villain, like like Nero or Hitler or uh, Nugoslav of Smartron 5. And it's like, <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> Which one of these is made up? Yeah, exactly. we'll, let, yeah. we'll let you guess. Um, yeah, so. Uh, uh, unfortunately, way, we, Kurt, we learned what the Kessel Run is, and I'd rather it just be a one-off line in the original movie than well, seeing that, it. Well, I was, I was going to mention that, have you seen this movie called Solo? And, and also- uh, just in case you wanted more backstory about uh, Bav Morda and Sorsha's backstory, well, I'm sure that the Willow uh, upcoming uh, yeah. TV series will fill all that in because apparently uh, no one can possibly live without, uh, you know, without a reference just yeah. going by un unexamined. Bav Morda, a Willow story. Oh, see, I, th I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, Mad, Mad Mardigan, and, and his name was Mardigan, and someone was going to be like, you're Mad Mardigan, and you go, yeah, I know, and then, I don't know. <laughs> just, yes, yes. Do you have no people? Oh, then you must be mad. We'll call you Mad Mardigan from here on out. But, but like, part of the reason that you can do that depth is, I think, because the rest of the film is so archetypal. Like mm -hmm. you don't need to waste a ton of time explaining who uh, Bav Morda is and that she's evil. You don't need to waste a ton of time establishing who Darth Vader is and that he's evil because he looks fucking evil, man. Right. You see him, you're like, all right, evil space wizard. Yeah, he's yells. Seems like a bad has, dude. Um, he has a black cape, and the first thing he does when he walks in is he grabs a guy by the throat and throws him against the wall. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. He's a bad and, guy. And that, uh, ironically, that's what Mad Mardikin did too. Exactly. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> but that that gives you space to spend time, like you know, seeding these little bits and pieces of of information about about the lore. Whereas you know, think about something like. Uh, I, I don't know. Let's use let's use Black Panther as an example. Um, Killmonger, they actually have to spend time setting up. Like, why is this guy a bad guy? Here's why you're not supposed to like him. Like, they have to have like whole like a whole series of events that makes you not like Killmonger because his fundamental criticism is sympathetic and therefore seems correct. And so they mm. first have to be like, look, he's got a you know he's sympathetic, but wait, no, you can't like him. So they probably spend like ten to fifteen minutes making you not like Killmonger and making you understand that he's the villain and why you're not supposed to like that. Whereas in this, they're like, Bav Morda, evil sorcerers, go. And so they can spend time <laughs> having someone like Burglecut who, you know, is complaining about like debts and you see Willow being kind of crappy, you know, and like struggling to to plant his seeds and they have little bits and pieces with like the the brownies and Sherlindria and, and like all this all this stuff that doesn't go anywhere. But it feels like it could. It, it feels mm -hmm. like it could go somewhere. And the fact that there's stuff and details that don't serve the plot to me is very good and refreshing and makes the film feel a lot more organic and like not not gritty, 
but it's got a nice like tactile sense to the setting that a lot of modern films don't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You're, you're absolutely right. It does feel like a, a larger world, even though the story feels a little small. Uh, it's fine because there is like, like I would say even some of the, the, the sets and, and I guess maybe this is sort of funny because they're, they're probably, you know, recording uh, at a lower, at a lower uh, angle because the first scenes are just basically, you know, Willow and his compatriots trying to struggle through the, the, the woods and whatnot and get to the crossroads so that they can hand the baby to the, the, the first human that uh, crosses their path. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, the first Dakini. And, Dakini. <laughs> yeah. The Dakini. Um, but, but, you know, you get a good sense, uh, you know, like weirdly you get, this is going to sound shitty, but the people are small. So therefore the world seems larger and you get that feeling as a viewer that the world is much larger because they are, it seems large to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, you know, I, it's not often that you see the main character in these types of stories have a, a family uh, with, you know, a full family, a wife and kids. And not only that, but like, there's they're they're all loving and they're all supportive like there's no um <clears throat> complications there there's no like sh she's like oh i want you to get rid of that baby willow like they're, they're all just like really nice and it's it, those scenes were just so genuinely sweet to me i i thought that was yes really awesome and you don't see that too often in these kind of hero stories except for burgle well, fuck that guy well yeah yeah fuck that guy yeah but but i i uh, to that point uh chris the 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 great little scene where he talks to uh high Aldwin, mm, like yes. after high Aldwin, like is he's going to choose an apprentice Yes, and Willow's up there and, you know, uh, point to the finger that will give you power or whatever. Right. And yeah. Yada, yada, yada. And you know, and I know perhaps as adults, we both know what the correct choice should be because it's, it's obviously a trick question. It's the thumb, but, which is not a finger. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go up the stairs on all fours. That's what, that's what the secret is. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the, when later it's, it's addressed, high Aldwin says, what was your real, what would have been your real choice? And he says, I, I wanted to point at my finger, but that's stupid. He's like, see, you lack confidence and blah, blah. And that's, it sort of just sets up everything so nicely because it, it then gives you like that payoff that yes, Willow is struggling, but part of that is because he does not believe in himself enough. Mm -hmm. And it sets up also the fact that he has to go on the adventure so that it can, he can then grow as a person and develop self-confidence or perhaps die in the effort. But, and, and also, and also um, in something that should be very obvious, but didn't hit me until it was happening. He then uses, you know, his, his crappy little sleight of hand uh, to defeat yes, yes. Morda. And I was like, for some reason, that is the most obvious plot contrivance, and I was taken off guard by it. I don't know <laughs> if it's because so much happened in the film since then. Right. Or to be it's fair, because, it was like, like two hours later. Yeah, yeah, like like or like maybe it's because there wasn't some like conspicuous scene of dialogue where he was like, ah, this illusion will never be good for anything. <laughs> and someone was like, you never know. It's it can be useful to to trick people. I, 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 I'm not sure what it was, but like, again, there's so many things that should be so obvious that don't 
that didn't feel obvious in the moment. And I was like, oh, okay, like it's well, it's it's an obvious setup and payoff, but it, it it still it still works. And you're not like, oh, here comes the payoff. Well, I I think I think it, it also works because you understand that Bavmorda is actually much more powerful, and she has all this fucking magic, and you just saw this magic, like real magic, uh, thing that you realize that she herself has become sort of. Uh, Bavmorda, that is, has become very arrogant and sort of, uh, since she can't sense magic happening, she herself is fooled. So she she obviously imagines it as a different type of magic that she does not know. So when he tricks her and says, uh, "I'm going to take her and place her far away from you know from you and anywhere anywhere that can ha- harm can happen to her," she must she obviously she must think that it is some sort of magic that she's never ever seen. And he tricks her. He tricks her really well. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to defend Kurt against his fierce critic, Kurt. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the beginning of the Kurt film. encounter Kurt. Yes. Well, um, you know, like that. definitely you can look at the, the sleight of hand scene at the very beginning and say, okay, that was a pistol put on the mantelpiece. But there were a lot of pistols put on the mantelpiece. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that like which which slice of life would have become the significant thing in that whole mess, like the finger thing, the where he got the seeds from. I'm just saying there was so much going on that I think I think it's while while foreseeing the past at this point, it seems clear. I don't think at the beginning I would have said that this is a significant event. Well, I mean, he's given a little literal magic wand, so it's like not. You know, beyond the realm to say, oh, he'll use that. But I think it goes towards Willow's, uh, you know, intelligence to to beyond relying upon the power of magic to just, you know, straight up trick that lady and and you know, make her look make her look a different way. So I I think that's it. It was cool. It's it's just I I think Kurt, what you're looking for is that's called good writing, and it's just yeah. we're not used to it. <laughs> and, and you know. <laughs> what, Chris? Are you saying that Wandavision is badly written? Oh my gosh! Oh, no, you are going to get canceled, sir. <laughs> oh, what I took out of this is Lucas go on blood knife. Yes, oh, yes. please, please do, please do. Oh, <laughs> yes, George Lucas, if you're listening to this, please. First off, be a member, please. Yes, give us uh, money. Of, of, yes, well, of, you, you know of, that dude's name picture. searches. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> could you name search or an audio file <laughs> hmm. I, you know, I, I just well, want to anyway. drive home the the fact that like you know we've been talking about this film for an hour and there's like five characters that we haven't even oh. mentioned like there's um what's her name there, there's like willow's friend who was with him for like the first like 40 minutes of the movie oh, uh Miga- migosh yeah, migosh um there's uh uh finn Re- finn Raziel. The the like mm-hmm. the the like older sorceress who gets like transformed into a yes. possum and then it keeps trying to turn into other things. There's there's I, I love the moment uh, when uh, she's asking Willow to turn her back into a human and uh, Mad Mardigan's kind of like groaning and complaining about it and he's like, well, what do you really look like? And she's like, I'm a young beautiful woman. And he's like, come on, Willow, you could do it. <laughs> 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 like there's there's the whole thing with um, uh, Eric. 
the the the, the, yes. the the guy from from Galadorn, which yes. I get, that's such a that's such a great fantasy name. Yes, <laughs> it's, such a, it's like it's like what it is. Yeah. It's just well, like you know, and I, I like that he's like really um, ambivalent. Like he's not like you know he, he's not obviously a good guy. He's not obviously a bad guy. He's just kind of like doing off his own thing. There's like just this complete side story, this complete other battle going off off screen, and he just pops up every now and then, and you're like. And he joins them at the in the final, but like uh, it, it just really makes brings a lot of texture to the world. Um, where it's not just you know you're not just following Willow and his crew to to the to the end, mm-hmm. right? Well, well, and that's that's sort of uh, alluded to at first when they get to the crossroads and they see the um, the horsemen like galloping full you know full throttle. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Here, take this baby!" And it's like, "Nope!" <laughs> they gotta dive out of the way. Yes. And then they see like the column, uh, you know, sort of marching by. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you get um, what is it, Eric? Eric and uh, Eric, Matt, yeah. Matt Mardigan actually uh, have conversation together in the. And again, uh, to your point, Kurt, this is another instance where the world feels larger because they're start sort of trading old war stories and like, ah, oh, you 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 turned blah blah, and you know you should have stayed. So, so Kurt, uh, I, I know you wanted to avoid intertextuality, but uh, <laughs> there. Watching it again, this uh, something dawned on me. Uh, there was a band from like my college days. They were kind of like a punky hardcore band th- named Kane Hodder, obviously named after the guy who played uh, Jason in the Friday the 13th mi- movies. But their one song was called Attack on Turres Lean. And of course, now uh, watching it this time, I realized Turres Lean was the the uh, castle that's like run over by tr- trolls now. Uh, so I, yeah. it finally dawned on me. It's it, So I, I don't know. I just like making those kind of connections and, and uh, you know, a, you know, it's, it's like, to- it's like how I, I didn't realize for years and years that all of the, all of like the scariest, uh, most violent, like, um, like Scandinavian, like black metal bands are all named after J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> it's all like, it's like Thogmoth. What could Thogmoth be? And it's like Thogmoth is a lesser demon in the, in, you know, mentioned in passing in the Hobbit. It's like, oh, okay. These guys are super tough. Well, I mean, yeah, Barzoom's from Tolkien, right? Yes, Barzoom. Yes, Barzoom yeah. is from is from Tolkien. Yeah, um, you, I mean, you can't get Gorgoroth metal from Tolkien. They're all, yeah. yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all Tolkien. <laughs> Ungoliant. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, uh, I guess we're we're a little bit past the hour mark. Uh, do we want to start winding this down? Do we want to keep going? I, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like running out of things to talk about. Uh, apart from, I will say, like again, the the use of location shots. Um, mm-hmm. is really stands out to the point that it's hard, although it's, I should say it's hard for me to tell which of them are like primarily fully art and which of them are actually just like things shot on location somewhere in some like Northern hemisphere climate. Um, and there's a um, lot of they- like broad, you know, sweeping vistas that are used in like one shot and that it gives Again, it gives the the film like a real sense of of massive scope, but it's it's in a it's in a way that the world itself has massive scope. It doesn't feel the need to add a bunch of like random fantasy crap because honestly, like a bunch of cool mountains are pretty cool on their own. So it's fine to just show you the cool mountains and not and not, you know, embellish them with extra special effects and like weird 
you know, composite like CGI mountains like like a lot of films yeah. now do. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's funny because they they shot in England, mm. in Wales, and dun dun dun, New Zealand. <gasps> uh, so uh, New Zealand was actually where Bavmorda's castle is, I mm. believe. So they had to go so, really far to to get back there. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I have a <laughs> I have a pitch, guys, uh, which is um, for now we wrap it up, and as we move forward, if we decide we want to do a follow up episode on this, you guys are invited back. That'd be great. I would absolutely love uh, to do that, and and just like in a general sense, I know I, I think you all have done Lady Hawk uh, already. I believe no, no, no really, no, we okay. have not. Well, if you ever if you ever have a hankering to do more kind of like eighties uh, broad spectrum multi audience fantasy, actually, that's something else that that I do want to mention. But if you ever have an interest in doing more films like that, I'm sure that Chris and I would be delighted uh, to 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 join you all for it but let me just say you know we so chris and i co-host a podcast called parents just don't understand uh which is about you know analyzing as adults and as parents children's media from 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 different eras it's not it's not about adults having nostalgia for their own childhood, although that is that is a part of it. It's also about, you know, showing this stuff to your kids and re-experiencing it as a parent, as like like a secondhand observer. And something I'll say is this type of film does not really exist anymore mm-hmm. precisely because, you know, it okay, the the upper bounds of violence that you are gonna get in a film like Willow are set by the expectation that it would be okay for kids and you know like like younger siblings and older siblings to also be in the theater but at the same time um nowadays that boundary is much uh much less permeable than it is so like you have a film like willow which is was marketed as like like a family adventure film it was not marketed as like you know, here's like a grown up fantasy adventure film. Um, it was not it was not Conan, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you still did have some explicit violence, some explicit sexuality up to a degree. It was reined in a little bit, but it was a lot more flexible than things are now. So it doesn't have that sense of like watching a family film in from the 80s feels very different from watching a family film from you know the late 2000s or the 2010s where it's like the there is a very firm boundary where there will not be even one instant like if you watch like the Dora the Explorer movie from a year or two ago there will not be even one moment that is inappropriate for an eight-year-old to see whereas a film like Willow you they expected eight-year-olds to go to it and they were just kind of like they're gonna see some shit but just a little bit and that's fine they're going to see that anyway, which, which is which is frankly like kind of true. And it makes it in a way hold up better for like a revisit to me than something that then like, like I don't think adults are going to be watching the door of the Explorer, you know, film 10 years from now as a guilty pleasure, except in a very creepy uh, and inappropriate oh. <laughs> way. You can, you can grow with movies like Willow. Uh, whereas yeah. those other movies, you know, it's, you know, I, I as to quote a Carlo tweet from recently, I, I spoke, I watched childish things and I, as I grew up, I put childish things away. So, uh, you know, um, I, so yeah, and I think, but we, Willow and things of, of that ilk where 
you know, it comes from the era where the PG-13 movie was just starting to get established. Um, and like the the delineations between what's appropriate for younger kids versus preteens versus teens uh, is is still way more um, malleable uh, than it is today. So um, so like like Kurt said, they they just hold up much better on revisits revisits both as watching with adults and also with my kid too. And, and I think Kurt probably experiences the same where it's like they're they're just more. Exp- um, fun to watch because mm-hmm. um, even though there's you know like yeah you might actually have to sit down and say you know this you know this isn't you know explain something a thing or two if, if they have questions or you know what I mean like but you know that's you kind of just have to expect that um, but it, it's they're great it's it Willow this was this was great to, to see it again yeah I, I enjoyed the hell out of it and and I think Kurt's absolutely correct uh, in part because everything needs to be like a series or it has to hook into some other larger universe or, or cinematic this or that. And it's like, eh, yeah, can we just have one shots? Exactly. Can, can we just have like a movie? Yes. IP yeah, is, I, is, is, is guiding everything so much that, that, well, um, I mean, like I, I keep on going back to this. I think it was something that some, somebody on Chapo said, about like, you know, like somehow everyone that perhaps grew up in the time that they would have watched Willow as a child grew up, went into academia, and now they're underemployed and they feel like they need to do homework to make sense out of their lives. They make homework for themselves because they're underemployed. So then, you know, like watching 20 movies to catch up with the latest, you know, installment of the MCU or whatever mm-hmm. is their homework. Mm-hmm. And and writing blogs about it and all that stuff. And it's like, no. Can we just have one movie? Yeah. Like, I can watch it for like an hour and a half or two at most, and, and we're done with it. You know, anyway. it's, it's incredibly ironic saying that after we just spent an hour and 12 minutes discussing Willow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're just enjoying that it's one movie yeah well if this were part of the willow extended universe i might not be quite so quite so enthused about it that's the thing well yeah and and looking forward to that next year right Uh, disney plus yes sir (laughs) the prophecy has been extended What'd be funny is if like they do do it and it happens after this and it's just like it's just like a farming sim, right? Like <laughs> people are hurting and stuff. There's no battles going it's on. Just Stardew Valley, the program. Yeah. <laughs> Will has to buy a new pig to plow his fields. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, anyway, <laughs> that's been Willow, folks. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. it was, um, yes, thank and, you. And hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cram my pitch in here yes. at the end. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, uh, so you know, um, uh, so I have this digital magazine called Blood Knife, which we have talked about uh, on on a previous episode, which I think was just called Blood Knife was the name of the episode. But if I think you're not so. Familiar yeah. with it? Uh, it is an online magazine uh, about cyberpunk, sci-fi, horror, neon knives, blood, and capitalism. Um, or more <laughs> more more accurately, I guess it's about science fiction, horror. Uh, and capitalism, and uh, we we cover 
um, you know, a wide variety of genre media and we analyze it from an anti-capitalist, anti-fascist, all around leftist uh, perspective. Um, you know, we, we are about to put out, I believe it is our eighth um, issue. It comes out monthly. Uh, we have kind of between like five and seven um, original pieces uh, we've had some really great writers. Um, we have, you know, it's it's a it's it's a small staff uh, that that puts it together, all volunteer. It's uh, myself, uh, my my collaborators, uh, Colin Broadmore, Trevor Drinkwater, uh, and then Nick, who is not on Twitter, um, and they're all uh, awesome to work with. And then we work with kind of a rotating cast of 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 writers. Um, and again, you can find that at bloodknife.com or patreon.com slash bloodknife, where you can get early access. Um, to the, the the full issues uh, as they come out, um, and then there is also uh, I already mentioned the the podcast that I co-host with Chris. Uh, Parents just don't understand, which you can find at SoundCloud.com/slash/ParentsPod, um, and we we talk all about you know different different uh, children's media, both kind of of the entertaining and of the the educational variety. So we'll talk about you know uh, Blippy and whether Blippy Ooh. is a worker. He is. Um, and then we'll also <laughs> kind of talk about, you know, more fun stuff of the of the Willow nature um, in, in particular. Uh, we did a really fun episode on uh, on The Hobbit, uh, which actually was was the first time that Chris was on before he, he was a co-host. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I also periodically co-host that uh, with my wife as well. Um, and so you should check that out, too, if you like hearing people uh, obsess about whether or not it's a good idea to to, to show their kids particular films. Uh, and whether it's more harmful to to watch Willow or or Paw Patrol, the answer is Paw Patrol. Oh yes, <laughs> cosine one hundred percent. And if you would like to check out more Blood Knife, I do have an article up there on one of my favorite movies, The Phantom of the Paradise, and how it is a turned upside down version um, by Brian De Palma, pitting a artist against a exploitative capitalist producer uh as a, and the also coming soon will be an article on blood knife uh reviewing the newer um catholic horror movie saint maud from the uk which uh spoiler is really good so awesome. thank you very much for having us on guys yeah, oh. yeah th- thanks so much for for having us on um and for giving me another reason to re rewatch willow because it's it's a great film and it it just feels like uh it feels like going back to to a simpler kinder time that they're that they are that that will soon be mined for ip and uh tie-ins and, and you'll be able to to read uh you know buzzfeed articles called like eight things you need to know uh about about bav morda <laughs> oh fuck dude what a way to end this <laughs> no it's always a pleasure to have you have you on kurt chris it's a pleasure having you for the first time and we're gonna get you guys back we just need to invent good reasons awesome excellent yep. all right uh any parting thoughts carlo uh just go watch willow man it's great <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a I'm, tight 120 Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm out of whiskey, so I'm out of comments. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> the thinking machine's out of out of juice. Yep, yep. Uh, we're all dried up. Nothing to do but walk the dog now. So, um, all right. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you. Well, actually, we won't see you at all because this is a fucking podcast. But you'll hear from <laughs> us later. Bye. You'll hear you'll hear from us when we want you to hear from us. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>